goes another 20 euro. Holy shit, I hate those guys. Gotta get 20 euro. Somebody help these 20 It's time to figure it out, Ricky. Welcome to Too Many Jams. It's a show but all things 20-year-old. With help from friends, experts, and our own personal experiences, we hope to shed some light on this thing to leave our age group lost and confused. We are online right now with uh, one of our previous guests from the last uh, from two episodes ago, I believe, Ian Hayes. Yes. And uh, he has nicely joined us on this Tuesday afternoon to uh, chat a little bit more about sort of what's going on in regards to the coronavirus and pandemic uh, because it has gotten so serious as of late. So, uh, Ian, what's going on, man? How are things? Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, it's uh, crazy times we're living in for sure. Hard to believe that it's uh, accelerated so quickly, even in the past uh, two weeks since uh, since I was on. But, uh, yeah, such is the case with infectious disease. It's, it's math and exponential growth, and uh, eventually things get real. So, so can I – I'm just going to say something because it's I, – I think it's funny to note um, we have just done 20 minutes of podcasting where we weren't recording properly. Uh, so we're just restarting now. <laughs> if it seems a little awkward, it's because we've had this chat in the last 20 minutes already. But Ian is joining us virtually. Uh, if you hear, uh, if you're listening through your earbuds, uh, his mic is just his computer mic. So it's not going to be like Robbie and I's um, microphones. And then if you're watching on the YouTube, it's just uh, his webcam video. But uh, Ian, on his episode, uh, mentioned uh, not only that he's running a business, a startup in this economic climate, um, but that he also historically had previous as a researcher in infectious diseases, which is why we decided to bring him back on, not only to talk about all the myths, all the stuff we've been hearing about corona in the world, what we can do, what everyone should be doing, kind of what what the status of this uh, infectious disease is, but also to talk a little bit about you know economic implications and and being an entrepreneur and uh, what that means for him. I want to get into all that today. We'll try to keep it brief because Ian does have a phone call in about forty minutes. Um, but Ian, you um, you sent out an article recently to me, which I shared with Robbie, uh, which talked about social containment, uh, social distancing, mm-hmm. uh, its effects on the spread, and how effective it really is. Uh, and I want to talk about that in this episode because there is implications to social distancing and and uh, basically the, the length of time we'll be quarantined and, and how this disease really does need to spread at a controlled rate in order to actually um, get through this in a reasonable timeline. What I wanted to talk about first, though, is... Um, fuck, I forget what we talked about in the last 20 minutes first, but we... We talked about um, something that led into the article nicely. Was it was it the speed at which um, this like it, it, was, it was the speed at which yeah um, it needs to go or it needs to be transferred? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we what was that point? Kick things off. You know, there there is a very fine balance which, uh, right now between you know allowing at least enough cases that our healthcare system can manage. So we have some people building up immunity, sort of the so called herd immunity to this. You know, if you're almost too good at controlling it from the outset and just kind of have five, ten cases a week, you know, that this sort of these sorts of measures could go on forever. It's a super tricky balance, though, again, because you're talking about exponential growth. And I think we're well beyond that in Ontario, for example, now in terms of trying to 
like keep things normal to keep it going. Uh, but it, it's a really fine balance because it can get out of control so quickly because, you know, everyone's healthcare system is already fairly constrained, but the slower, you know, this thing does get through our population, the longer all of these measures are going to stay in place. So there is economic considerations as well, for sure. One thing, one thing that I've been thinking about is, uh, I mean, like, you know, Canada, U.S. and um, Europe and stuff have, have been able to manage sort of the, the growth at which uh, the, the virus spreads because we have these measures in place and the proper uh, health care systems and infrastructure and such. But um, and I, I think uh, just from looking at numbers, it hasn't gone that bad. But one thing I've been thinking about is like, what if the virus were to spread over into, you know, for instance, um, poor parts of India or it's getting a- there. Africa as it slowly moves over there and they don't really have the the ability to handle it or, you know, possible outcome of a uh, or like like an outbreak there, you know, how right. badly that will affect their livelihood. Yeah, it's I guess it that's happening right now. It's, it's scary to even think about when you see, you know, a, a country like Italy getting overwhelmed and their mortality rate creeping up over kind of like 5% because uh, yeah, their well, healthcare had... system's overwhelmed. I mean, it's, uh, then, then you think of it like India just locked down 1.3 billion people today because it's spreading there. So yeah, it's, it's hard to think about those things for sure. Italy had that, uh, was it yesterday or two days ago? They reported 800 deaths in one day. Yeah. In the U.S. today reported their first uh, 100 deaths in one day yesterday. So, yeah, so what what we're seeing is is very modelable. It's very known. And uh, Michael Osterholm, who was on Joe Rogan, we talked about recently, spoke about that this isn't news to the health community. Um, you studied infectious diseases previously as a researcher. Is Is this something that could have been more prepped for like this is this a shock to you as as someone who did research this previously like could you have seen something of this coming um, um just it's definitely shocking in terms of i mean i think we spoke earlier it's definitely the the craziest time i've, I've ever been alive in my 40 plus years uh it, there's always been a concern about this and people are now digging up articles from like five ten years ago with people sort of predicting something like this might happen um but, you know, it's it's that balance between, you know, do you have the healthcare system that can potentially support these crazy epidemics, but our taxes are four times higher? Or do you have to deal with these things when they come up, right? Because you can't prevent, you know, you can't plan for every eventuality. And uh, so, you know, part of me is like, yeah, the, this was going to happen eventually. But the other part of me just thinks like we, we can't possibly been planning for this given that it's it's never really happened for the past hundred years right yes i know i i get that but it just it just seems so odd to me how fragile it is uh, a report just came in saying new york is already at a critical point in its hospitals new york says they have nine days until they run out of ventilators and and supplies to keep people alive which will mean people will die that is preventable and it's the early days for america um and this is the result of people not taking it seriously. This is a result of people not quarantining properly is an overloaded healthcare system. Um, and, you know, we're going to see that in, in all over the states because I've been listening to my favorite podcasters. Um, even Joe Rogan, who had that expert on, has since 
been completely mis- misinformed and misinforming his millions of listeners on how serious to take it. And they're all joking about staying in quarantine, and I think people are doing that now. But just how they talk about it, they say stuff like, oh, I guess, you know, are the young people okay? Are they, I think they're fine. It's really only people 60 to 80 that are dying. Um, I think the government's overreacting. Are they doing this, you know, who's calling the shots? Should we really be taking this seriously? I'm like, why, why even say that on these podcasts? Like, why even put those doubts out there? Because then I watch these young YouTubers making jokes about it. Mm-hmm like coughing on their friends and like laughing and being one big joke until LA is overrun. People are dying. And I think Canada's done a great job of being ahead of it, but it's only because we're a small country and we haven't got it yet. We were taken as not seriously as the States where we were just fortunate enough to be a little bit smaller and a little bit more Northern. I think that's the only difference. Yeah, I I agree. I mean, I think just... One, one thing on the flip side of that, though, like think how quickly we're relying on everyone to change their behavior, right? Like that's a certain part of it. Like three weeks ago, everything was normal, even two weeks ago, right? And so mm-hmm. I, I agree. And I certainly am on the side of, you know, people should be should be social distancing more and, and taking this more seriously. But it's it's been a pretty big ask given how quickly this has come on. It's just crazy how infectious and how fast this, this is spreading. Um, but, you know, where, where I think we're headed is is more geographic isolation. So I think you're going to get certain regions and certain geographies that are better able to get this under control. Other parts, maybe even in the same country, are, are not. And you're going to see, you know, differences start to emerge in terms of, you know, some of the civil liberties and economic activity coming back in certain regions and maybe not others for a while. Just because, you know, it's going to become so ge- geography specific and, you know, li- limiting movement between countries is going to be the next thing that's going to come into play in the next couple of weeks, I predict. Yeah, I d- I, you definitely can't blame anyone. And I'm I like we would all be those people, too, if we were that age in the States and we were a YouTuber Joe Rogan blew my mind because he had the expert on it like weeks before and then just yeah, continued to be... Would have set his head he, straight. <laughs> agreed, yeah. Um, but yeah. Because he's just got such a big listener base. Like it's it's intense. Um, but as we've said, and as this article said, it may have already hit a critical exponential growth rate in the States where the States, at least their population centers, will start to look like Italy and then France looks like it's getting there, like Germany, Spain... It's getting into India, as we said. And the idea is, and what this article about social distancing said, is that it's not about eradicating the chain entirely. Because as you said, a myth I wanted to bring up, and we brought up in the first 20 minutes that got deleted, is that if a community isolates perfectly and breaks a chain within their community of transfer, um, unless the whole world also does that perfectly once borders open up and once things start working and the virus will come back into that community. So it's really about slow containment. It's about slow exposure, about optimizing how many people are getting infected um, so that the healthcare system can keep them alive while they basically become immune to this thing. Um, and that's why social distancing is so important because it's not going to be perfect. Right. So there will be still high exposures in Ontario, even with social distancing, but it's about curbing the exponential growth. And this article you sent, which I'll put in the show notes, has shown that 
not only does this work historically with the Spanish flu, but in Wuhan, in China, in the Chinese uh, cities surrounding Wuhan, um, it's actually technically contained. Mm -hmm. the, the growth rate is no longer exponential. It's uh, Some people are even returning to work in Wuhan. And uh, there is a few new cases, as you said, of people returning home. But this shows that we can get through this with proper social distancing. If China, the epicenter, can contain it, we can contain it with social distancing. And I think we wanted to do this podcast to urge people to do that. And and do you think how Canada, like their sanctions at the moment, do you think this is like the best we have with what we know? I think so. It's going to, what, what we're doing now and what the government is doing now is taking incremental steps and then looking at the data, right? To see if they need to go harder. Do they need to back off? The challenge is, because of this latency period, you know, you have to make a decision and then see what things look like five or six days later, because, you know, the transmission that's happened has already happened. And so we're not really going to know the impact of these, you know, even these new measures with Ontario, you know, curbing all non-essential businesses today. We'll know if that had an effect like six days from now, right, which is kind of hard for people to wrap their head around because they may see cases still skyrocketing and saying, oh, this isn't working or, you know, they'll see a dip and think it's, it's working really fast. Uh, when in reality, you know, you really do have to take time and time is, is not necessarily a luxury we have with, with the disease right now. So in terms of the steps being taken right now, I, I, I support what both the federal and provincial governments have been doing. I, I think they've been taking the right steps right now, again, incrementally curbing it to see if we can sort of slow this spread. But to your point, you know, no one's planning to, to cut it off entirely at this point. We just need to keep things within the capacity of our healthcare system keep the mortality rate as low as we can. And ideally, you'll find that sort of balance of, you know, getting people back to a somewhat normal life as fast as you can while limiting any uh, any deaths and mortality. Which we'll get into the economic impact of that. But let's, let's do that while we have our listeners' attention, while people in our demo are listening, because they are the most important demo. As the news said, the spreaders are the millennials, the, the, the one after it. I don't know if it's Gen Y or Z. I don't know what it's called. But these are the... The spreaders, let's just get the facts out there. Let's dispel the myths. Um, starting off with stuff like, you know, you hear people saying it's just old people, but uh, you hear people saying that, you know, we're young, we're fine, it's going to be okay. But the reality in Italy is that the majority of hospital hospitalizations are 25 to 55. Yep. Young people can die from this. Um, you can easily spread it before you know you have it. And let's just like, Let's just get this out there that people, no matter what age you are, wash your fucking hands, stay six feet away, do what you can, because even if you're perfectly healthy, this this can fuck you up or fuck a loved one up that has no health conditions, maybe even kill them. Agreed. And, uh, it's and not a joke. I think, you know, people are only looking at the mortality rate and thinking they're invincible, but there's a whole lot of other people who are also going to have permanent lung damage from this, right, as well. It's not just about right. that. It's about oh, chronic really? conditions you'll have for the rest of your life. And so, It yes, affects you, you afterwards like, as well. Yeah, if you look at the pure chart, yeah, it's more risky for elderly and, and people with chronic conditions, but it's certainly still a pretty big a risk I wouldn't even want to take sort of as a young person for, for your personal health. But in addition to your point, again, because you can be infectious and not even really have symptoms, you then become almost the most dangerous member of society because you're still continuing your business as normal. And everyone within their network has people who are way more at risk than 
themselves. And so unfortunately, we're kind of at mercy of everyone to, to sort of behave by the rules. There's one thing in infectious disease called super spreaders. You might have heard that term before, but it's yeah. not that every single person is infecting 2.5 other people. It's that 95% of people are following the rules and infecting less than one person. And one person's infecting, you know, a thousand people or something just because they are just completely not following it. They're in a very high traffic location or something. And so we really are at the mercy of sort of everyone playing by the rules with the social distancing thing. The article mentioned how one super spreader in South Korea basically took the whole country, <laughs> took the whole country down. It said how um, places like Japan and South Korea that have dealt with SARS before actually has a really great containment for uh, infectious diseases. They take it seriously. And Korea was already contained before the outbreak went global. They, they had to contain to 30 cases uh, for their entire country, even with their proximity to China. And then one super spreader, the 31st case, that's how much yeah. they had attract, gave it to thousands of people. I don't know if he was a public speaker or if, or like what his or her role was, but they basically said that. Do they know who it was? Specifically? <laughs> he gave it to so many people that it put their country over the critical mass. Yeah, they, they identified who it was. Yeah. Wow. Just to give you an idea, like when if you're doing this right, when someone tests positive, you're doing a crazy investigation involving hundreds of other tests, right? Like who's everyone you've been around, who are your parents, who are all your family, they test all those people and they usually find a few of those people are positive and don't know it. And then they isolate those people, right? As quickly as they can. And they can. follow the chain. They follow the chain and you have to do it as fast as you can. And you know, the issue in Canada and the US right now is we just simply don't have enough tests to do that, right? Testing Especially is Especially in the US, right? Enough. Yeah, the US yeah. is in a lot of trouble right now, unfortunately. What, what, is, what is the testing procedure right now? The what, testing like, procedure they... right now is, is generally a swab, so like a nasal swab they will take. Yeah. Uh, the issue... A rectal swab, Robbie. <laughs> <laughs> the issue Where I do understand... I sign up? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the issue, from what I understand, isn't necessarily like the number of swabs, although I assume that's an issue, but it's, it's more like the lab turnaround time, so they don't have enough capacity to like test and turn around these samples quickly enough. And so if you don't find out for like four or five days and people aren't abiding by their quarantine rules or whatever, you know, you, you can see how it very quickly will just sort of spiral out of control, right? If you yeah. even have one or two people who are just not taking this seriously. And it's also the reason why there's such a big focus on making sure our healthcare practitioners have the adequate supplies because they could easily become the super spreaders. You know, they're, they're exposed to the disease all the time. They've got tons of people panicking, coming into their clinics who don't have the disease. This is why we need like every single healthcare worker to not have COVID because they could eat. And even people working at grocery stores, you know, those are the people I'm most concerned about because they have the ability to turn into sort of those super spreader type people because they just have such a large contact still, even with all this stuff cut down. And we need to mm -hmm. make sure those people are, are staying protected. And then on as well, on that note, um, how are they treating these people in the hospitals? Like, what is like? I, I don't know if you have the answer to this or no. Um, it's just one thing that I haven't. Uh, I've been curious about. They, as of as far as I know right now, they are generally not really fully admitting you to the hospital unless you are very close to needing a ventilator or needing to go into the ICU. So people who come in who get tested who are positive, they're sent home to isolation and then they are actually physically monitored at that point. So they'll have people calling them multiple times per day. Uh, we'll see if it gets to that, but they may even have you know physically people like knocking on the door to make sure they're home because they they got to take this serious, right? You can, you can't be leaving even if you start to feel better, and so right. 
right now they are really limiting the people they actually admit into the hospital for those sort of most mm-hmm. urgent cases. Everyone else with COVID is, is getting sent home. Interesting. Is this is just such a real deal scenario. And um, we can, I don't know if there's, I had a few other like questions I wanted to ask. Um, are there, okay, so w- with infectious diseases like this, you know, people get it, uh, immunities eventually build. Are there different strains of COVID-19, some that will give you that permanent damage, some that are more benign, like, well, or not benign, but like more chill, like, are, are there different strains of the same disease that are pa- being passed around? That's a good question. So there's definitely a lot of different strains of, of coronavirus happening. Like the common cold is is a coronavirus in itself. Uh, with COVID-19 in particular, you know, I've been looking at this out of personal interest. Um, it's, it's too early to say, but data is suggesting that it is mutating a little bit, just very, very minorly. But I think where, you know, this presents challenges for the vaccine world as well, right? Because as you know, you know, there's a, there's a huge race right now to build up vaccines, a uh, number of other countries working on it. And, and at the end of the day, that probably is the way that we're going to get this in line. But, you know, if this disease evolves enough and has sort of these multiple seasonal strains coming out, we could end up that we have something like influenza on our hands, which is, you know, every year you get your flu shot. Some, some years it's 80, 90% effective. Other years it might be kind of a bad year. It's, it's 20, 30%. Yeah. So this is sort of the thing no one's talking about yet because I think it's too early to see exactly what happens. But it's definitely within the realm of possibility that this is just now another virus that we're going to have to be dealing with on on kind of a seasonal basis it's my hope you know there's so much attention on this right now that that the normal vaccine process which can take 18 to 24 months you know i think that is really going to be sped up i think the fda and and everyone's sort of working together to sort of speed up these clinical trials um you know they're they're generally very locked down for like safety and health reasons but there's just so many deaths occurring now i think the cost benefit of trying to accelerate some of these vaccine trials probably probably makes a bit of sense but you know just just to give you an idea i mean there's still no vaccine for zika i don't know if you guys remember the zika virus from like three four years down in the caribbean can you can you uh ian can you slow down for a second let your video uh, catch up to you here okay so from zika yeah from the from the zika virus you know just so you guys are aware you know that that i think first cropped up three or four years ago in the caribbean and there there just still isn't a vaccine developed for that disease so just to give you an idea of kind of the complexity i do think there's enough attention that we'll get there but um yeah the mutation is one thing that i think we'll start to learn a bit more over time but it's just one other sort of concerning angle from this whole thing in terms of like how long is this thing going to be around yeah i didn't know if we mentioned um the vaccines in this segment or the segment that got deleted um, but as you said, you know, the, the one to two years a vaccine can normally take. Michael Osterholm talked about this as well. It's not that there aren't vaccines already developed right now. I don't know if we talked about this al- already in this no, segment. No, I think or not. it was it was first time around. Yeah. yeah okay. So you said there there are there are already vaccines developed right now. It's not hard to get a vaccine immediately. It's about whether that vaccine A is deadly to people or harmful. Or B, how how it does how well does it actually work? Like they can they can kill the disease, attack the disease right away in labs. They have it isolated. They have all that. So you said like speeding up the process means reducing the timelines and the stringent requirements to test and get it out to the public. Um, in a sense, and it's awful to say, but it's kind of a blessing that the U.S. 
is getting hit so hard because they're going to turn the entirety of their might towards it, the entirety of their economy and, and their GDP and, and hopefully um, get that vaccine out quicker. But I know Canada is, is real. Aren't they the leading edge right now? Yeah, I heard the Saskatchewan. They are. Yeah, there's a number. And as you'll see in a lot of the federal government announcements, like every time they've announced money for people, it also includes R&D, right? Like they're, they're trying to lead in this. And another thing to keep in mind is, you know, a country that develops a vaccine is is eventually going to distribute worldwide, but the first million doses are going to their own citizens, right? So there's no reason why right, every country yeah. on earth shouldn't be trying to develop something right now uh, to get it out the door. And and from what I've heard as well, there's a lot of collaboration. You know, normally people would get bogged down in like IP and who owns what. And from what I hear, you know, globally, scientists are sharing information as fast as they can right now, which is really refreshing to see because it means that we'll get there sooner. Hopefully some billionaires also just sprinkle the pot with, you know, a few hundo from their foundations. Um, do you think, it, Rob, do you, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to ask if you had any myths or like any questions for Ian before we move on to like, um, more of the economic. And, yeah, I, and I guess stuff. one of the questions I was just thinking about is, uh, I mean, they, they obviously know the source of, uh, of, of where this all came from and such. And, um, you know, with how everything's played out, um, you know, like the the main concern right now is working to try and contain and stop it. Do you think after everything's kind of, um, you know, once they got a little bit of control on it and uh, things settled down a little bit, like there's going to be a bit of an investigation into like where where's to blame or like um, whether there'll be like any sanctions or sanctions and, yeah. or, or that kind of stuff, like punishment for like improperly managing like right. how this all played out that's a really good question i i think already you're seeing online like again the world we live in what is the truth was the u.s military all these crazy theories right about who did mm -hmm. what so yeah, yeah, yeah. i think if you go down that road you're immediately going to get into countries just blaming one another misinformation i mean it's it's clear you know from what i've seen that it, it started from from bats in in the market and you know a lot of uh, diseases transition in, in that manner, Ebola and, and SARS and, and others as well. But it's, it's yeah, I, I don't know. That's a, that's a tough question, probably left for an economist, not me, but I would yeah. have a hard time thinking they're going to be able to pin it down to the point that they can get, you know, the whole world to agree, like, these guys fucked up or something. Yeah. I've heard, Rob, I've heard that China is finally doing some self-reflection on their wet markets. Wet markets are the term for these markets that have tons of different live animals mm -hmm. in improper storage. Because you have to understand, like, you can't judge China for how it's been doing things forever, for how yeah. it feeds its billions of people. No, totally. And they eat, they eat anything over there. These wet markets have, like, it's not, I'm not being racist, cats, dogs, ferrets, birds... <laughs> rats, any animal that can be consumed, there is a taste for in China. They just have so many people. There is like 20 million people in Wuhan. It, 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 we're, like Their amount of people is, like you think about 20 million people. Yeah, it's, it's staggering in, in a city. So um, I think China has finally said no like no more wet markets. Like Yeah, they completely stop banned it. I saw of, that, actually. Yeah, because they created, they did create SARS as well. It it was uh and and it was it was a similar thing. All, it was it like a snake and bat combination. A snake and bat fucked and <laughs> <laughs> from from everything I'm reading it's it's 
bats and, and Ebola as bats as well. Like there's, there's a lot of diseases that come from, from bats, other animals as well. But um, yeah, I mean, it's good to see them reflecting on that for sure. It'd be good to know to get to the bottom of this, but uh, you know, my personal opinion, I think it's, it's better for us to take steps to figure out how we can better prepare and lock things down like really quickly when something like this does happen, because it's going to happen again. It's just a matter of, you know, what animal or, or what timing or what geography, but you know, we, we, since the beginning of time, a struggle with infectious mm-hmm. disease, and I, I think that's good. Well, that's, that's another good. point that they made in that article that you sent us is a um, couple countries that had dealt with the SARS outbreak um, had better had done a better job at you know um, stopping the what, what do they call it stopping the curve flattening the curve yeah, yeah. flattening the curve um, and and they pointed that out in the graphs that they showed for sure yeah no it's. Uh... You, there's a lot you can learn from this. And again, if it's this thing's all about time, right? The longer you wait, the more drastic the measures have to be. And it would have seemed crazy like three weeks ago to say like, shut all the borders and close everything down. But we'd probably all still be working now and like in school, you know, if we'd been able to do that back then. And so the longer yeah. you wait mm-hmm. with these things, the crazier the measures you have to take are. And, and unfortunately, you know, we are where we are, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still hopeful that Canada in particular, you know, I, I still think that we're, we're going to get through this thing. Um, I think people are finally starting to listen and pay attention, certainly from what I can see sort of in my neighborhood and, and you know, the once a week that I do go out, it's, it's dead out there. So I think people are paying attention now and I can only hope that we just start to see those benefits of that because I think that will encourage people to just continue on. You know, the last few weeks might be the hardest because you're going to see it going down and nothing's going to get lifted. But at least, you know, while things are going up, I think it's really hard to convince people like you're going to lose your job, don't go to work. But if they can just see that this is starting to work, I think it's going to re-energize people. So we, we've talked a lot about the coronavirus. I think we've, I think we've said enough where that the, the people listening hopefully can, for their own sake, for their family's sake, for their, their, the people around them's sake, take this as serious as they can. Like, hyper awareness when you're shopping you know keep your distance be responsible like it's not a joke um lice all things down uh it's really a lot about the breath um in the you know in in the transmission and lineups and stuff like that uh we've talked about the seriousness of the disease how it can cause permanent lung damage and stuff even for young people it's not something to toy around with and and get because you're young and it's all good um, another thing I wanted to bring up before we transition quickly to the economics of all this, cause it's really affecting a lot of the people I know, uh, mm-hmm. is vaping and cigarettes. Uh, I'm on my, my last few pods of, uh, uh the jewel. jewel. And I, all I can think of is what the fuck am I thinking? If this can cause, if this is a respiratory disease, <laughs> like I wonder if even casual, um, vaping can like stress the lungs and cause, you know, you know, a, a, just an added risk factor or like if drinking or lack of sleeping, like I think is the idea just to stay as healthy as humanly possible. I think so. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it's vaping or drinking or even just getting enough sleep or like, staying active is super hard, right? When you're stuck in your house, I mean, everyone acts like they will, but it's, it's, it's hard to do stuff when you're out of your routine. And so, yeah, at this point, staying as active and as healthy as you can within your confines is, is probably the best advice. And to your point, you know, I, I listened to your last podcast and 
I would treat anything that isn't like social distancing and washing your hands as a myth at this point. Like, there's absolutely no evidence that like drinking water helps or like any of the other things yeah. you guys are talking about. It's like literally ibuprofen. stay away from people and wash your hands. And um, one, one thing that's popped up a bit that I've done a bit more research on as well is your biggest risk is really contact surfaces. It's, I mean, if someone coughs on you, yes, there's an airborne droplet risk, but the actual like something floating around in the air that you're going to breathe in is, is actually a really low risk overall. It's really contact with surfaces. And so the washing hands thing is shopping on the weekend. I like to write down every single thing I bought, every box, every bag of chips. So the video just, um, Got a, got a bit, bit glitchy, so you went shopping? Yeah, yeah. I, I went shopping this weekend, and you know, I'll tell you from my own personal, I, I got family home and everything. I, I <laughs> Lysol wiped down everything when I got home. I washed all my fruit yep. and veggies, wiped down all my cereal boxes, bags of chips, just the Lysol wipe, because it really is the contact surfaces that are the, the biggest risk. Yeah, that's what I was reading, that it can stay alive on, uh, on certain surfaces in particular for up to nine days. Yeah, they're still doing more research on that, but yeah, even uh, even the lo- the lowest surface I read is staying alive on for like two days or something, which is just crazy, right? For for a yeah. virus and up to nine days on certain surfaces, so that's why really hand washing and and sort of the physical touching, you know, even if something's been in your house for three days and you haven't wiped it down, it, it could still be there, right? It's it's really crazy. So even washing your hands when you're home and you're not going out a lot is is good. It's also, I guess, awareness touching your face, which brings me to my uh, quarantine beard, which is uh, <laughs> I got one, one too. not fashionable. <laughs> yeah, you got yours. Rob, how you looking there? I, you know, not bad. Sort of standard stubble for me. <laughs> um, it, it's, uh, you know, not fashionable. Uh, it makes me feel like I'm going through something like a playoff beard, like, you know, you're in it for the long haul, but it's making me touch my face so much. <laughs> and uh, so, <laughs> I'm debating what to do. I'm I'm treating it um, like a playoff beard at this point. I'm I'm not shaving yeah. until we're through this. <laughs> yeah, I want everyone to come out with like three, four inches of beard. Like I, I want it, I want it to like emerge in the sunlight. Like just oh, I can't actually like I can't wait until we're through this. Like let's talk about the the impacts of this on us because uh, especially us in the gig economy, uh, we're I was already. I was already at my limits of spending and, and debt and balancing and um, being shut down for three months is going to be hard. And hopefully the government money can can support a little bit, but it's affected me and my roommates. It's affected people that have been laid off. Um, but you, as someone who just started a business, uh, just raised capital, we're on the leading edge of the cannabis industry. Uh, I, again, I don't know if this got cut off, but Ian was on our episode two, uh, two episodes ago, listen to it to hear about his story, but he started uh, with partners Motif Labs, which is a cannabis oil refinery company. Uh, and what's this looking like for you? Like, how, what's, you, like what's going on at Motif? What do you do now? Like, what's, what, how do you handle sure. this? First of all, honestly, my, my heart goes out to you guys. Anyone in, in the gig economy or even more broadly who's kind of laid off or, or suffering right now, it's, uh, it's a crazy time for everyone. I mean, uh, you know, I don't want to put myself as the exception or anything, uh, but certainly running a small business <laughs> through this time is, uh, is equally challenging with the added stress of, you know, having, uh, having 11 employees who are kind of counting on you as well. Um, so, you know, we, 
again, because we have a young workforce and I think a lot of companies have been similar in that we, we were able to transition pretty quick uh, with tech tools to working remotely, uh, still getting a lot done. And I'd say the team's probably at like 60 to 70% productivity. There's certain things that we have to do at the site as a group that we just aren't, aren't doing right now. Um, but you know, the one benefit, I guess I could say, we've been trying to get licensed and get to revenue for so long, but we're almost in like a benefit now where we weren't operational and much bigger. Cause if we, you know, been operating and having 40 or 50 people right now, it'd be a totally different conversation. Right. And we probably would be talking layoffs and that sort of thing. But uh, for us right now, we just immediately cut any and all spending. We're trying to keep everyone employed as long as we can. So we basically cut every single other thing to zero. And we're just reassessing monthly to see what things look like, are things opening up, and where are sort of these opportunities to, to get back in the market. But, uh, yeah, it, it's tough all around. We're paying a close eye on uh, all the government incentives coming out. I think there's going to be more coming. But, uh, you know, everyone's being hit hard, and we can only hope that, you know, it really is only kind of four to six weeks. Uh, hopefully most people have an emergency built up, you know, to, to put them through that. But even if not, you know, I think measures definitely need to be nope. taken to allow people to, you know, people shouldn't be forced to pay rent. No one should be getting kicked out. Everyone should have access to safe, healthy food. Like we need to really go back. In some ways, I heard someone say the other day, you know, this could be a really good time to test universal basic income. We're now forced to, right? Like instead of all these programs, why not just start giving everyone money at base allowance? You can always cut it off when things go back to normal. But, but to me, well, it seems like a good idea. Off, to, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just something to think about, right? Like our world is radically different. If you were ever thinking of testing that out, seems like the time That's to me. First, I've heard of that. You know what? It is a time we said in that one episode to, you know, if you're going to turn any negative into a positive, this is our struggle. This is our generation's struggle. We've been fortunate not to have been drafted or um, go through some of the things that can really, really be terrible for a generation. Um, but even for Robbie and I, like the breath of fresh air. Uh, that's a bad. That's a bad thing to say because you know, with the climate. But the, the, the beat has been kind of a bit of a reflection on how close to the line we are living, our lifestyle, the the lack of safety nest, the lack of insurance, mm -hmm. and as as much you said, your heart goes out to us. You know the the amount of debt we're in and the stage we're at. It's really okay. We don't have dependents. This is a great time for us to learn this lesson and for twenty year olds to learn this lesson. Right that the world is as this fragile. Yes. At the end of the day, it's people and the next crisis is fucked. And you might be 50 and 60 by the time it happens next, but never forget how quickly things can, can get like this and have it, have a little money, have cash. Don't be entirely dependent on the market. Staying healthy is important at all times. Like, I don't know. It's just like all these wake up calls. And I really hope our, my short term memory doesn't get, as bad as it always does with stuff like this. And, and I can carry this forward, but yeah, we got to figure it out. I've been painting my parents' house for the last four days. Like I, I, I've completely put my life on hold. Um, yeah, no, it is. And it's, 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 I think all, all we can do at this point is, is try and think of positives that could possibly come out of this. Right. Like, I th I'm sure you guys have been online a lot as we all have sort of with this increased downtime and the amount of like connection and people coming together and working together and every day I'm reading inspiring stories about, you know, hackathons to build ventilators and people hand sewing masks for people. Yes. And if there's some Genius way we can just making hand sanitizer. Yeah. We just, you know, 
that things are, you know, assuming we're going to come out of this and, and the majority of the population is going to be okay and just sort of look at it as a lesson learned, which I hope is where things are going to go. You know, I really do hope we can bottle some of this connectedness to make sure we sort of never go back to, to those former ways because we have an opportunity now where everyone's guards down and mm-hmm. it just seems like a good time to just change the way we do things. It really does make the world feel like we're in it together. I think that's, if, if anything, this will lighten tensions between Russia and China and, and show that like, hey, we might hate each other for no reason. We're now all in this together. Um, also, people are really worried about the markets. I know my parents, my parents' friends, their retirements took a 50% cut. Um, and it's, this, is a, this is a big deal. And you know, hopefully a lot of them are, are liquid enough to wait, wait it out for it to recover. But I, I also am hoping that the previous recession taught people that you can leave your money in the market if it doesn't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. don't yank it all out and cause a crash. Like, things will rebound. A lot of people made a lot of money buying low in the market. What I'm, what I, what I'm hearing from people that are in it is that people are constantly trying to buy into the market low, which is keeping it from right. crashing. and. Um, yeah, so I think people learn from those crises. Hopefully, you know, they, they haven't been doing as much subprime mortgages in the States <laughs> and hopefully people don't yank all their money out at once and then actually lose, uh, an entire market of, of nest eggs. But with the virus, I think positivity will come global. We're in this together. Feeling will come. The young people will hopefully learn, um, to manage their finances and their lifestyle a little bit less close to the edge. Um, yeah, and, just, and you know, use the time. Yeah. One, one quick note on the markets, I'd say my feeling is always, you know, if the markets never come back, you have bigger problems to worry about. So don't panic. Don't pull your money out when it's low. I mean, it's literally going right back up, which is done since the beginning of time. Or for some reason, this is different and something terrible happens and it never comes back up. Then yeah, it, then did, it didn't matter anyway. It's just so, going back. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if there's, if there's anything else um, on the radar that you can think of, or Robbie, you can think of. We talked about how serious to take it, the true implications of this disease. Um, you know, finances, look to the government for help. Uh, look for gigs you can do. Uh, you know, if, if, if you can take care of elderly people's groceries or, or mow their lawns for cash, I know people in the gig economy are doing whatever they can. Um, find ways to uh, provide value for your company, you know, so you don't get laid off. Yeah, <laughs> working from home. And there are there are certain industries that are thriving right now and hiring like mm-hmm. crazy as well, right? So just being flexible and adaptable, and it may may not be the exact position you want or pay as much as your last job, but uh, there's certainly you know some some companies right now who are going to be looking for a lot of people to help. Amazon. I was reading Amazon. Yeah. Jeff Bezos. Walmart, said that he is he is looking for a hundred thousand new 100, positions people. right yeah. now because they're getting so many orders that need to be filled through Amazon uh, like delivery. People are going online, don't want to go out, right? Yeah, Crazy. Amazon's. Uh, I I want to. I'm actually interested to see how Amazon comes out of all this because they were already dominant enough, and now this just sort of proves it's like it's the model right and so are we going to see just other big companies finally flip over to the amazon model or are they just going to crush everyone right i mean yeah like what's what's walmart canadian tire home hardware they are they have terrible home delivery walmart i think is pretty good but 
uh, these hardware and like kind of have everything stores are so behind the curve. They're going to have to transition. Yeah. Um, yeah. Fuck. It's just Robbie and I, like we, we just were like on this peak of releasing this song and like we had this whole plan to like blow up like right here in the, in the spring. So like, uh, I'm just, I'm just, Every time I think, why me? I think of like Vietnam and like (laughs) other times, and I'm like, okay, never mind. It's all good. Yeah, it's it's kind of a blessing in some ways, too, that like uh, just because we have been pushed behind uh, with our timeline uh, overall. And, you know, this this little added buffer gives us more time to like sort of string things together and uh, do things properly. So. Um, I, oh, yeah. yeah, I, I think Hopefully it'll, some I think time it'll be to beneficial. Create as well. Continue creating as well. Oh, totally. Yep. We're going to write, uh, we're going to, what I'm thinking, I got a laundry list. I want to become unreal at calisthenics. You know, those guys that can like hang sideways on a flagpole <laughs> and do like all this body weight stuff. I, I think I'm going to become a pro video gamer. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting in the hours at the moment and I think you should get on Call of Duty because I'm in debt. And this is hilarious this is my mindset, like just paying my rent and paying my bills. I, I went into my, my line of credit and I still went out and bought a $300 gaming controller and a $100 <laughs> headset because I'm locked in. Maybe I'll start live streaming. Wait, $300 um, wanna, controller? What? Like, why? Let, why so much? We don't much? need to talk anymore about that. <laughs> it's just a pro. It's a pro gaming controller. I need it because I'm obviously a pro. What? What is a um, pro? How does a pro controller differ from a... You know, a regular controller. It's got it's got buttons on the back, so you never have to take your thumbs off the aim sticks <laughs> to hit like jump and reload and slide. The aim sticks are a bit longer, so you have more control. You know what? We don't need to talk about this. The, the triggers don't have as long a pull. Have you reached um, the, that? You know, that high of a level dude, in this I, last week? I live in Call of Duty. Ian, you said you used to. You used to be big into the, the Call of Duty in university. Yeah, when Black Ops came out, I was I was addicted for a good while there. So I feel your pain I, for sure. I, you know, I'm just saying. You want to squat up? I'm looking for a third. <laughs> um, great way to kill the time. It could be. Unfortunately, I still got a business to run and kids, but uh, maybe in the evenings we'll Forget see. Forget about that. Forget about that. Join me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, video games are great. Uh, I want to make more content, like get good at like making videos and covers of us playing at home, taking photos, all the stuff that I put on the back burners. I can't do anything else. Uh, I'm just going to have some fun with it while I can. And I think the more I talk about it, the more I get an immediate sense of panic, but, but it goes down to a long-term feeling of at least I understand what's going on. So I, you know, I really appreciate you taking the time. No problem, guys. Um, Thanks for having me again. Hopefully the listeners do too. And um, is there any resources, anything that they can watch or stay up to date? What do you use? Uh, yeah, there's a few links I can send you for the, the show notes. Other than that, you know, uh, again, I, I just find that the daily CBC briefings are just even watching. I think a lot of people are watching the news too much, but I think it's just once a day. Yeah. You can kind of tune in and get the Coles notes of, of sort of the day's activities. It is important because things are changing so quickly. So, you know, looking one day and not looking for four days, it isn't good enough at this point. If you're trying to be a good, 
a good citizen. You need to be checking in daily on what's happening and what restrictions are out there. But uh, yeah, for me, it's been refreshing to see all levels of government working together. There's been no infighting. It's been nice to see that, right? Yeah, yeah, an increasingly partisan world. I mean, it's been nice to see. And uh, so I think there is some really good info there because no one's fighting and trying to give things an angle anymore. It's just straight facts. So keep doing that. And uh, yeah, the the one link I sent you, there's probably two others I'd send as well. People just want a high level of where things are at and why this is happening. But uh, otherwise, yeah, just check the news. And don't panic. Don't panic. We'll get through it. Don't panic make informed decisions and just have empathy for people in places like India or Africa, Italy, um, and respect them by doing what you can here. Uh, because we will be the ones that go to help them when we're, uh, we're back to normal as well. Well said. Uh, anything else from you, Rob? Uh, no, no, that was, that was great. Thanks a lot, Ian. All right, let's go boys. Quarantine life. Stay strong. (laughs) Thanks, everyone. We got this. Thanks, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Right, so much. Later. Take care, guys. Cheers. Cheers. I would stand in line for this. It's always good in life for this.